The world that we live in is filled with chaos. We are all searching for meaning in our lives, but we often get lost along the way. We all must ultimately realize that meaning is found in responsibility for our actions, for the way we live our life, and for the people in our lives. We don't have to stay in the chaos. We can choose to bring order to our lives. Join us for a fresh perspective on the practical steps we can take to become who God intended us to be and to realize what our calling is. This is Coming Out of Chaos. Welcome back to the Coming Out of Chaos podcast. My name is Michael Bothwick. I am your host, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host and good friend, Bryce Kirk. Bryce, it's good to be recording with you again, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Good good to be back on here, Michael. Uh, another mini hiatus for the both of us. A lot's been going on, but we are back and excited to get at it again with you. Definitely. I just got back from a week trip. It was spring break here last week for us uh, locally as at the time of this recording i just had returned back to work after taking that week off and we had his grace bishop nicholas visit our parish at saint nicholas orthodox church just the other day actually just last night from the time of this recording it was wonderful to be with him he came for great compline and did kind of a q and a with our parish and we shared a meal with him a lenten meal afterwards since we are We are past the halfway point of Great Lent now. We're actually getting closer and closer to Holy Week. And then things will really get busy, right, Bryce? Oh, that's right. I mean, uh, Annunciation a few days ago, followed up by uh, St. John Climacus, also known as St. John of the Ladder. I mean, that kind of lets you know uh, you're knocking on the door. That's right. Holy Week and Pascha. So it's right in the corner. And you mentioned uh, the Annunciation. I actually had... The pleasure of attending Divine Liturgy at Father Hans's church in Fort Myers, Florida at St. Peter Orthodox Church. First time that I ever visited his home parish, received communion from him, which was quite a blessing. We were actually on the way back from a kind of a long trip down there to Florida, which is really a wonderful trip. We also attended liturgy at St. George Orthodox Church in Jacksonville, Florida. So it was nice to be able to visit a couple of our parishes there in Florida when we were kind of on vacation, but um, obviously it's good to be back. And I'm ready to talk now about the next of our Antiochian men core values. Uh, We started a new series focusing on a couple of saints for each of these episodes. We started last time with the value of leadership and a couple of saints, St. Alfred the Great and St. John the Baptist, who we felt were great examples of the Amen core value of leadership. The second value that we're going to be covering today is obedience. And that is a value that I think is kind of misunderstood uh, by especially a lot of us here in the West, in American culture, the concept of of obedience, Bryce. You know, Bishop Nicholas was just at our our local parish here at my local parish at St. Nicholas, and and he actually talked about it last night. And I know Mm -hmm. you've heard him talk about obedience before where Again, there seems to be these two different understandings, and the Orthodox understanding of obedience sometimes is very different than what people are used to, you know, especially in our culture where you hear the term obedience and it seems like it's this forced thing, like it's you're being compelled to follow rules or instructions, and and that, almost like you just don't have a choice in it, right? And that's more like slavery, right, Bryce? 
Yeah, Michael, when you hear the term obedience, you know, you kind of get this feeling in your mind or, you know, even in your gut, like, oh, this is something I have to do. Mm. Oh, somebody's telling me what to do. Right. If there's two virtues that really get a bad rap, I think, among modern people in general, it would be obedience and it would be discipline. Mm. Those two things we don't necessarily like to hear. And frankly, they're things that we may not want to hear. But the things that we need to hear and in that a lot of that is according to our ability at least as we start um i think within orthodoxy you know when when you were coming up in the church and when i had converted you know uh i remember my first great lent and my first paschal season and i remember talking to our priest at the time i was like i don't know about this whole fasting thing <laughs> You know, I don't know what that's supposed to look like. Am I supposed to do it all the way? Like I see these monks doing and in, in these documentaries or that I read about. And he told me, you need to start small. You need to start with something that you are able to do. So he gave me a very simple discipline, although I wouldn't call it easy. But obedience is there to help you really become more than you are, I think. Right. You have things that you're not told to do just for the sake of being told to do them. They're there for your salvation. They're there to help you along the way. And they are they may seem very strict, right? They may come across that way. And perhaps you may perceive them to be that way for a while. But as time goes on, you begin to see the freedom through that obedience, the freedom of which you're not left to your own devices. You mm. know what I mean? Yeah. You're not following your own drum, the beat of your own drum. Yeah. And that's so beautiful how you worded that you find freedom in obedience. And, and really it points to what the, the Orthodox understanding of obedience is. And Bishop Nicholas, again, just talked about this last night to us here at, at our parish. And he talked about how we should want to do these things. That's the ultimate understanding for an Orthodox Christian. It's not about being forced to do something or that you don't have a choice. You should actually want to follow, for example, the commandments of God or the guidance of your spiritual father. Right. We're not under an obedience like monks are under an obedience to say they're abbot. So that's maybe a different understanding, but we should want to be obedient to Christ, right? To, the, to really the commandments of God and, and obedient to the, our roles that we have in our communities. And I think that's the part, especially with these saints that we've chosen, that I really want us to think about is, you know, each of them had very specific roles that they were called to by God. And we have very specific roles as men, all of us. And each of our calling is different. But whatever that role is, we should want to be obedient to that and faithful, right, to what God has called us to do. Right. And we want to fulfill those duties to the best of our ability. Right. I would say that each man, each person has their cross that they would carry in this lifetime. And I, and I think that we all understand that on a fundamental level. But what that cross looks like will vary from person to person. What does not vary from person to person within that parameter is that we are to carry that cross to the end. And the difficulty that that can entail, you know, we, we want to toss it aside at times. We want to throw it on the ground. We want to walk away. We want to leave all that behind. 
so that we can pursue some type of fleeting freedom outside of that. Mm. But there is freedom in that struggle. And, you know, Michael, you and I are in different walks of life. We're both in the church, obviously, but you know, you're, you're a married guy, you got kids. Um, I'm not married, you know, I'm, I'm a young man, first professional job living on my own. And, and what my life looks like is much different than yours. And we both have our cross, but at the same time, that doesn't give us the, uh, the freedom to necessarily complain about those things or throw them aside. There's a duty within that. And that duty is something that I think, you know, we begin to see as time goes on, as we begin to become freed from these things, as we begin to learn how to bear the burden of life and the obedience of which we have to do. And, you know, we're still in the period of great Lent at the time of this recording, as we've mentioned, we've just passed the halfway mark and there can be the temptation to take the foot off the gas, if you will, um, to kind of ease up. You know, I'm almost to the end. I can just coast. Yeah, I've had those thoughts even very recently, Bryce. <laughs> As have I, you know, and and part of that, you know, you, you want to get that extra bite of whatever you're trying to eat. You know, you, you want to, eh, I can skip the prayers today or I can, you know, not go to the services that I've been going to. But we have to continue doing what we're doing not for the sake of doing it. If we have not love, none of that matters. Yeah. And, you know, at times we may not feel like it, but putting in the effort, you know, that is a big part of it. It's not about doing things when it's easy. You know, when you're in the gym, you're growing muscle when you're not just when you're going, when you want to, when you're able to go and do something, even if you're not feeling like it and you can still push it at the end of the day, you feel better for that. And not even just, uh, you know, in, in a way where your dopamine feels good. There is a sense of accomplishment there that you were able to push it further than you could before. And I think that's a, a big part of obedience is you are growing through that process. You're not remaining stagnant at any point and your duty will evolve and you'll be able to take on more as time goes on. And, you know, you don't need to be thinking years in the future necessarily, but things a day at a time and putting trust in God, because we cannot rely upon ourselves to carry this duty, to carry this cross by ourselves. It's, it's a process that takes a lot of time and it takes trust in God and it takes using the tools of the church, um, to really begin to understand that in its fullness. Yeah. It takes patience. It takes discipline and humility. You know, I think that the saints that we have selected for this episode are really good examples of obedience through their lives. And so many of the saints are, you know, in our last episode, we picked a couple of saints for leadership, but we really could have, there's so many examples, so many saints that really embodied that value. For this episode, though, I'm really excited to talk about these two saints that we've selected. And Bryce, why don't you kick us off with the saint that you chose, and we can kind of go through his life a little at a time. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Michael, through our conversations over the last couple of weeks, um, I was really struggling to find somebody. And uh, that's kind of ironic in a way, because all of the saints really do exemplify these virtues Yeah, in their lives. And when you read the lives of the saints, you're able to see that. You know, tomorrow, uh, which will be Wednesday, March 29th, at the time of this recording, is when we'll do the canon of St. Mary of Egypt. 
and uh, her life is an excellent observation of what obedience is and understanding obedience. But I decided that we should talk about St. Raphael of Brooklyn, who is one of the newer saints uh, in the Orthodox Church. And I wanted to kick it off with an excerpt from the life of our father among the saints, Raphael Hawawini. And the quote goes like this. Several themes emerge as the story of St. Raphael's life unfolds. The first is the mysterious way in which God led him from his native homeland to the shores of the American continent. The second is his submissive attitude to the providence of God. And the third is his love for the people of God. Though during his lifetime he was neither a wonder worker nor a clairvoyant elder, St. Raphael embraced a life of total abandonment of self for the service of God and for his fellow men a life of true spiritual asceticism. That's a great quote, Bryce. And I especially loved that part where it talks about the submissive attitude to the providence of God. And I think we see that as we kind of go through the life of St. Raphael. Something that really strikes me about St. Raphael, especially in his early life, was a similarity to St. Alfred the Great that we talked about in our last episode and that is that he was raised by very pious parents, in this case, very pious Orthodox Christians. And he was, in a, in a very similar way to St. Alfred, he was raised with this love for and desire for a good education as a young person. And that really developed in his early years where he just was striving to learn as much as possible. But you know what really strikes me, Bryce, it wasn't just learning for the sake of learning or to, you know, to, to make it seem like he was better than he was or, or to try to be popular or any of these selfish pursuits. It didn't stem for, from personal pride or ambition. That's what I really love about St. Raphael in his early years. Yeah. It, was, it was really his fervent desire to benefit others. Like the, the pursuit of education wasn't just for himself. He knew, right, that if he learned as much as he possibly could, he would be more helpful to others. And I think about some very real examples of this that we know in our current age, like people that you and I know. I think of Father Stephen DeYoung. You know, I quoted him in our last episode. A lot of what he's done with the Bible studies, for example, for Antiochian men, you know, he has five master's degrees, I believe, and a, and a PhD. I'm all of that education, but it wasn't for his own glory or anything like that, to whom much is given, right? right. Much was required, and Absolutely. he knows that. But I think that people like Father Stephen DeYoung are wonderful examples because this is someone who has really put in the time to educate himself, but then not keep it to himself or try to think that that's going to give him some status. He wants to share it with others. And how much time, Bryce, has he volunteered, not just for us, but with, you know, podcasts for Ancient Faith Radio? You know, it's the same kind of thing here with St. Raphael, where he was really he was driven to have out of a desire to benefit others, a really good education to help people. Absolutely. And, you know, it does remind me in a way of uh, the retreat that you did with Father Hans last October uh, at St. Ignatius Orthodox Church in Franklin, Tennessee. The name of the talk was God Created Men to Be Strong. And I was going back and listening to those talks recently. And something really stood out to me in those talks, talking about the parable of the talents. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in our situation, there's a lot of young men that come into the church or may have been in the church, or they may not even be young men in general, but just people really, um, who don't know what their talents are and they're searching for those talents. 
And in this case, you know, with St. Raphael, his fervent desire for knowledge did not come out of a place, like you said, of I want to be the best, I want to be the smartest, I want to be the most well-read, I want to quote this, I want to be able to give this information because I can. It was out of a place of service. Yeah. And, you know, he, he didn't even necessarily pursue these things for the glory of himself. It wasn't, you know, I'm going to go and become this great professor of this, or I'm going to go and do this with this education and be famous and be powerful and be well-respected. He was appointed to be a substitute teaching assistant in 1877 when he was 17 years old. Yeah. And then the next year he was appointed as a teacher of Arabic and Turkish. And at 18 years old, being, uh, having that kind of knowledge. Already a teacher at that age, right? (laughs) Exactly. And being able to teach people that is just incredible. And then shortly after he was tonsured a monk. And this is through becoming a student of the patriarchate Mm -hmm. um, when he was very young. Yeah, Bryce, it's really amazing that he was able to become a teacher at such a young age. And I think that really speaks to just how dedicated he was as a student and the obedience that he had to his instructors and how efficient he was with his time. He definitely wouldn't have been lazy as a student because, you know, at the age of 17, he's already teaching others. And then, you know, later on as a young deacon, he was asked to take over as the head of the Antiochian Representation Church in Moscow. You know, he was being put in these leadership roles And it's really out of his, again, dedication, his loyalty, his sense of duty, that he would have been asked to do these things as a young man. And I don't know about you, Bryce, but I mean, these are really important positions at a time when, when people really needed him. So again, as we were talking about at the beginning, we never know what God's calling for us will be. But you know, as that's revealed to us, we, we obviously need to step up to the plate. And the only way that we can really fulfill our roles, our duties, our responsibilities is to be obedient, right, to to what God's calling is for us. And a lot of times that can be revealed to us through the church, because we're talking about our spiritual father. We're talking about, you know, the bishops and the, the priests, the clergy of the church who are watching out after our souls. So if we're really involved in the church and we're taking our faith seriously, A lot of times messages from God will come straight to us through the clergy, as happened here in the case of St. Raphael. Yeah, after a couple of years, uh, St. Raphael was able to reduce the Antiochian Representation Church's 65,000 ruble debt by about 15,000 rubles. So that's down to 50,000. And after that as well, he arranged for two dozen Syrian students to come to Russia to help further their education and the hope that they would return to Syria and teach others. So that is, that is awesome Yeah, to hear because, you know, he was in a position where, you know, he had a lot of say in things and he was able to use that to help other people with their talents and to help them help other people essentially for the glory of God. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, and a lot of people, when they do rise, to a position similar to that, they may do it to pursue their own self-interest rather than pursuing the greater good. Yeah, Bryce, the other thing too is it it seems like as we're talking about the obedience of St. Raphael, in this case, it became contagious, right, with others. It's amazing how you have somebody that really lives the faith and who wants to be obedient to God, right, to God's calling for him, and how much of an impact, a positive impact that can have on others. 
one thing I wanted to move on and talk about was something very interesting that happened in St. Raphael's life. And honestly, Bryce, I had no idea about this part of his story. As I was researching St. Raphael, I found it fascinating that in the year 1891, Metropolitan Spiridon was elected as Patriarch of Antioch. And at that time, many Arabs believed that he had purchased the election by distributing 10,000 lira to several notable people in Damascus. And when that happened, Archimandrite Raphael, he was an Archimandrite at that time, refused to commemorate the new patriarch during services at the Representation Church. Wow. As a result from that, he was actually suspended from his priestly functions by Patriarch Spiridon. We're talking about Saint Raphael. This is a saint, right? This is the part of the story I didn't even know about. So Saint Raphael accepted his suspension but continued to write articles in Russian newspapers in defense of the Antiochian cause. The patriarchs of Antioch, Constantinople, Alexandria, and Jerusalem successfully petitioned the Tsar to forbid Russian newspapers from publishing his articles. With this door closed to him, St. Raphael began to publish his writings in book form. You know, I'm going to stop right there because, again, Bryce, I was, I was so kind of shocked about this part of St. Raphael's story. His response to what was what was really widely regarded as corruption, right, to the rise of the patriarch, mm -hmm. and and the and he really took a stand. Now we've chosen him to highlight his obedience, but I think in this case he was really doing his best to be obedient to God's commandments and to setting a good example and to not signing off on what was widely discussed as being corruption with you know, this election of a patriarch who had purchased his way to that role into that position. I just found this part fascinating, Bryce. Yeah, that too. And he did have a uh, sort of a soft resistance, if you could even call it that, mm. to the patriarch at the time, because yes, he graciously um, accepted this suspension, but he also continued to write in Russian newspapers. Yeah. And it took the other four patriarchs to successfully petition the czar to stop this from happening. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it makes me think of that old, um, I guess that old saying that the pen is mightier than the sword. Yeah. You know, and here we are talking about St. Raphael and we're talking about how he showed obedience and yet he was suspended. So obviously at one point he did not show obedience to the church hierarchy, but Again, with the corruption, I think he was setting his obedience standards to a higher level, trying to be obedient to God. Right, Bryce? That's a really good point, Michael. And I think that this led to something really good. And so after a while, Patriarch Spiridon wrote to a friend of St. Raphael's in Russia, and he asked him to persuade St. Raphael to ask for the Patriarch's forgiveness. And so St. Raphael did, and the Patriarch lifted the suspension. And so from that, St. Raphael was allowed to transfer from the jurisdiction of Antioch to the Russian church. And from there, he went to Kazan, taking a position as an instructor in Arabic studies at the Theological Seminary. And he stayed there until about 1895, when he was eventually invited by the Syrian Orthodox Benevolent Society of New York to come and be the pastor of the Arab Orthodox community there. And so, you know, you do see the progression here from, you know, being suspended, continuing to write these articles in Russia, 
eventually having several hierarchs petition the czar to go against those writings. Then he asks for the patriarch's forgiveness after the patriarch reached out to a friend of his. And then five years later, he ends up in North America. Yeah, and this is where his story really comes home, so to speak, for all of us. There are so many Orthodox Christians in the United States that that know St. Raphael very well. There's many icons of him, and there's a, a very rich tradition of just the stories of his early days in this country. And as an Archmandrite, St. Raphael arrived in New York on November the 2nd, 1895. Now, he was born in 1860, so he was 35 years old when he came to these shores. And he was welcomed at that time by a delegation of Arab Christians who were awaiting their leader from Russia. He really had, again, a calling and a purpose in this country, ministering to other Arab Christians who were definitely in need of leadership. On November 5th, his first Sunday in America, he assisted Bishop Nicholas, a different Bishop Nicholas <laughs> at that time, oh, in yeah. serving the Divine Liturgy at the Russian Church in New York City. And less than two weeks after his arrival, Archmandrite Raphael found a suitable place in Lower Manhattan to set up a chapel and furnished it with ecclesiastical items that he had brought with him from Russia. And the Bishop Nicholas at that time blessed the new chapel, which was dedicated to St. Nicholas of Myra. And I have to say, I have a very soft place in my heart, Bryce, I know you do as well, uh, of St. Nicholas of Myra being the patron saint of uh, my local church and the one that you used to attend here in Springdale, mm -hmm. Arkansas. And the fact that it was another Bishop Nicholas, right? It just makes it even more of a kind of a connection, at least, to this story for, for us, I think, personally. Right. But, you know, what I love, too, about his time when he was here, it was very obvious that he really came into his own as a leader in the church by becoming a very zealous pastor. You know, in New York, he was teaching and he was preaching. He was celebrating the divine services for his parishioners. But it wasn't long, though, before he heard of smaller communities of Arab Christians that were scattered throughout the length and breadth of North America. And Bryce, we're talking about a time, you know, at the turn of the 20th century, when Orthodoxy was in its very, very early stages. There were not very many Orthodox Christians here, but there were some, and they needed someone to minister to them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, this is part of the reason why the church calls St. Raphael the good shepherd of the lost sheep in North America. Mm. And, you know, I get this kind of image in my head of, of what that might look like as a shepherd. Um, and his sheep are scattered about. And when the sheep are scattered about, you have to bring them back into the fold. You have to make sure that they're not running loose on their own, doing whatever it is that they want to do, because that is going to be dangerous for them. And there may be wolves, there may be potential to get lost, whatever it may be. And St. Raphael really exemplified that by telling the faithful not to attend any heterodox services because there is some confusion there. They're not the same. They may be similar in some points, but it isn't the same. And it's a, it's a deviation from the teachings of the church, especially the ones based around the seven ecumenical councils. And so he even believed that if you could not attend divine services, that it'd be preferable for the head of the household to read the hours at home from the service book if they could not attend an Orthodox church. Mm. And so shortly after that, he does begin the first of several pastoral journeys across the continent. And Michael, he begins by visiting 30 cities. 
Yeah, and this was at a time, Bryce, when it wasn't easy to travel like yeah. it is today. You have no Eisenhower freeway system. You right. have no American <laughs> Airlines, you know. Definitely not. No planes, right? Doing everything by train, uh, you know, primitive automobiles, all that stuff. Visiting people in cities, towns, and yeah. farms all over the place. Yeah, and that's when, you know, that's when especially our bishops, like our own Bishop Nicholas, he travels a lot. And I am amazed at seeing how hardworking he's been to visit all of our parishes. Over 40 parishes, Bryce, twice a year, right? That takes right. a lot of hard work and effort and energy and commitment, right? And faithfulness. And you have to be obedient to what God has called you to do to be able to constantly be up for those challenges that are going to meet you when you're traveling that often. Yeah, and the faithful see the fruit from that yes. as well. Having the bishop present, I mean, you just were able to be in the presence of his grace yesterday Yeah, on Monday. Um, you know, and, and Michael, you and I are able to, to speak with him on a regular basis through Zoom calls, through the Amen uh, board group and, and a lot of other things that we do. Right. But being able to see him in person and the efforts that he puts in to come and see the faithful you know, I had no exposure, and I'm sure many of you listen to this, maybe a converse to the faith from maybe a low church background or, or a, a non-ecclesiastical um, structure background, where you, you know, being able to have a hierarchy in your presence, um, initially, you're not sure what to think about it, but after being able to be in that environment and seeing him as your shepherd, seeing him as your leader him being responsible for you and you wanting to serve the bishop, being obedient to the bishop. I mean, we've seen in our diocese in particular, you know, people have begun to grow closer to each other through that. Yeah. Yeah. And during the tour that you had mentioned, you know, it's also really important to to keep in mind that that he was ministering to a lot of these Arab Christians that that were really Arabic speaking. And he, during that tour, just, he was convinced that there was a need for Arabic speaking priests to serve in the new churches that he had established. He really established a lot of churches across the country. So when he returned to New York after that, he actually made a report to the Bishop Nicholas of the time, expressing his concerns. And then with Bishop Nicholas's blessing, St. Raphael was able to bring qualified priests from Syria to minister to these Arab communities. And he also sought out educated laymen whom he could recommend for ordination as well. So both as an archmandrite and later as a bishop, St. Raphael would appoint pastors only after obtaining the blessing of the Russian hierarch who headed the American mission. So he wasn't the bishop right away mm -hmm. when he was sent here. And this is another very important point about obedience is that even within, especially our clergy and the hierarchy, the bishops, you know, you, you don't do anything without the bishop's blessing as a priest right? As an archmandrite, you may have a high position as a leader amongst the clergy, but St. Raphael would always ask for the blessing of the Russian hierarch before he would ask for anything, or he would try to do something like this. And that just is another great example of obedience, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And especially, I mean, thank God for the bishop being able to give him that blessing as mm -hmm. well, because through that you know, he could have received the blessing and he, he could have done something, but maybe not as much as he did. Yeah. And, you know, today there are many, many churches that are still around that were founded by St. Raphael in this country. And several of them over a hundred years old, 
Um, yeah. In <laughs> fact, the oldest church in our diocese, Bryce, was established by St. Raphael in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Right. And it is interesting, Michael, because there was no specific jurisdictional um, administration in the United States at this time, at least in the sense that we have now, right? Mm -hmm. Like there was not independently an Antiochian jurisdiction, NOCA, uh, a Greek or a Serbian or a Russian or a Romanian, whatever it might be, um, there was a bishop here. And uh, after Bishop Nicholas was no longer the ruling bishop in America, Bishop Tikon, who, as we know now, is St. Tikon. I have an icon mm -hmm. of him right over here on my wall, um, would become the bishop of North America. And so he came to serve the liturgy at the Syrian Church of St. Nicholas. And St. Raphael, and I love this quote, St. Raphael said to the people at his parish, so their new archpastor was one who has been sent here to tend to the flock of Christ, Russian, Slavs, Syro-Arabs, and Greeks, which is scattered across the entire North American continent. And so the church united all of these different people from all of these different backgrounds under the omophorian of the Russian archbishop. Mm -hmm. And this would be the norm until the Russian Revolution uh, later on in 1919, which would disrupt not only church life in Russia, but also in North America. Mm. And so after this point, at the end of the 19th century, uh, St. Raphael received permission from Bishop Tikhon to start collecting some funds for a cemetery and replacing the chapel with a new church building. Yeah. And he did a lot of work among the people, you know, he ministered to the Greeks, the Russians, as well as the Arabs performing weddings and baptisms. And he regularized the weddings of Orthodox people who had been married by non-Orthodox clergy. And he also chrismated some children who had been baptized by Catholic priests. Then something really interesting happened in the life of St. Raphael. He received a telegram at one point informing him that Metropolitan Miletios had been elected Patriarch of Antioch. And with great joy, St. Raphael told his people that for the first time in 168 years, a native Arab had become chosen as the primate of the Antiochian church. So this was a big deal. Then, after the new patriarch had been installed, Archmandrite Raphael was proposed to succeed Miletios as Metropolitan of Latakia. The patriarch, however, stated that the Holy Synod could not elect Father Raphael because of his important work in America. And then in 1901, Metropolitan Gabriel of Beirut wrote to Archmandrite Raphael asking him to be his auxiliary bishop. But he declined, saying that he could not leave his American flock. And I think this is a great example, Bryce, of St. Raphael wanting to be faithful to his calling and to his role here in America, right? Because he said that he could not leave his American flock. I think it's interesting that, you know, more than once, it seemed like, you know, various bishops were wanting to, you know, promote him or to move him to another position out of right. the United States, but he didn't feel that was right. He had something that he was called to do here, and he wanted to be obedient to God, right? Yeah, and I think he wanted to see his goals all the way through. Right. And two of those were getting a new parish building, getting a new church, and that was able to be completed. Um, they bought a spot in Brooklyn and then were able to remodel it for Orthodox worship, and Bishop Tikon then consecrated that church. Uh, he was able to purchase a section of property in Long Island to make a cemetery for the church. 
And then after this point, there are so many churches popping up in the Diocese of North America. And they had to reorganize in order to administer everything to the fullest that they could. Right. And so Bishop Tikhon submitted an agenda to the Russian Holy Synod, which would then move the sea from San Francisco to New York because most of the parishes and uh, most of the people, most of the Orthodox people in the country were concentrated on the East coast. And so since various ethnic groups required special attention and, you know, differing pastoral leadership, uh, Bishop Tikhon wanted Archimandrit Raphael to be made the second vicar bishop. Um, there was already a Bishop of Alaska as well. And so from here, you know, we, we see St. Raphael, there are attempts to kind of remove him from America and put him in positions of power back in the Mediterranean. And he could not leave North America. And he was, he was a priest at this time. Yeah. And he then becomes the Bishop of Brooklyn in 1903. And he's still the head of the Syro Arab Orthodox Mission in North America. And so you look at his work as a missionary, and much of the early work of the church in North America was missionary work. Mm -hmm. It started with the Russians going to Alaska, St. Herman and St. Innocent among them, uh, coming over to Alaska to um, minister to the native Inuit there. And then St. Raphael, almost 150 years later, coming over, acting as a missionary as well, being able to visit the faithful all over the country. And thank God he kind of came in at the time that he did because he was able to use the rail system to do that. Yeah. And he was able to help start many parishes. He was helped to meet many people and help them kind of come back into the fold. They were no longer lost sheep at this point. And he's fulfilling his duties, fulfilling his obedience at this point as well. And he accepted Bishop Tikhon after uh, Bishop Tikhon informed him of his election. Yeah, Bryce, so Archmandrit Raphael became Bishop Raphael, and you mentioned that the Holy Synod of Russia elected Archmandrit Raphael to be the Bishop of Brooklyn, and that happened in 1903, and it was a unanimous election. And so he did accept that. And then on the third Sunday of Lent in 1904, St. Raphael became the first Orthodox bishop to be consecrated on American soil. And that was really a very monumental event, really in the history of orthodoxy in the United States. Right. And Bishop Raphael went on to have many successes, including one example where he published a magazine called Al-Kalimat, which is the word. And we have the word magazine to this day in our archdiocese, Bryce. That's something that's published and that kind of keeps all orthodox Christians in our archdiocese in the know of what's going on. So that's kind of an amazing thing that he you know, was able to basically get that publication started. Uh, in the very, very early days of orthodoxy in this country. And, you know, the very interesting things would continue to happen in the life of St. Raphael, especially when, you know, it seemed like, again, there were people that were trying to get him to leave the United States. And specifically in March of 1907, St. Tikhon actually returned to Russia and was replaced by Archbishop Platon. And again, St. Raphael was considered for the Episcopal office in Syria being nominated to succeed Patriarch Gregory as Metropolitan of Tripoli in 1908. And I found this fascinating, Bryce. The Holy Synod of Antioch actually removed Bishop Raphael's name from the list of candidates, 
citing various canons which forbid a bishop from being transferred from one city to another. Wow. And I think that that's, that's really incredible. You know, at some point, it seemed like with Bishop Raphael turning down these opportunities to leave the United States and go elsewhere, you know, at one point, the Holy Synod of Antioch, they wanted his name removed because he was a bishop at that point. You know, he was essentially married to his archdiocese, to the Mm -hmm. people in the United States. And to transfer somebody from one city to another, the synod at that time said, that's not right. And they removed his name. Don't you think that's fascinating? I do. And, you know, to go back earlier when he founded the uh, the Word magazine, to me, that shows ingenuity. Yeah. Because, you know, he, he realized that I can't visit everywhere. I can't be everywhere all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, I can do my best in these efforts. But, you know, reality kind of steps in and says, I, I can't be everywhere at once. And being able to found the Word, being able to get these things out there so that the people can see it, having them able to subscribe to it. And the fact that it is still around today as well. Yeah. That people were able to get these updates. People were able to hear these holy words or really being able to read these holy words. Um, that is an absolutely fantastic thing. And how many more things too, Bryce, have been, have kind of come around because of technology, like the podcast that we've listened to, we're doing one now, you know, a lot of videos right. with Orthodox content, you know, we've talked about ancient faith ministries and a lot of the content they put out, all the books that are now available. And it really follows the spirit of innovation and ingenuity in this country as well. The American spirit of trying to innovate absolutely, and trying to improve ways of doing things. And because of how vast the land was, like you said, it was a need. It was a need to try to find a way to reach as many people as possible. And in our own diocese, Bryce, we've seen even Bishop Nicholas has really embraced using technology in good ways to try to reach. He wants to reach every person in the diocese. He doesn't want to leave anyone behind. It's the same spirit that we see with St. Raphael, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, on the Sunday of Orthodoxy in 1911 that you mentioned, he was gifted the silver-covered icon of Christ, and he was praised for his work by Archbishop Platon. And he didn't... He didn't rest on his laurels. You know, he didn't say job well done. You know, he didn't get prideful about it. He was very, very humble. Mm. And this is very important. He didn't think that he should be, or rather he didn't understand why he should be honored merely for doing what he needed to do. Yeah, for just doing his job, right? Exactly. Doing what was set before him and, you know, considering himself an unworthy servant. Mm. Um, That is absolutely... That's very humbling to see. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, this is toward the end of St. Raphael's life on earth. And he got sick shortly after this, being diagnosed with a heart ailment in 1912. After a couple of weeks, he was able to celebrate the liturgy again at St. Nicholas Cathedral. And then after that, he went on another pastoral visitation. Mm. And... He went from 1913 to 1914. And unfortunately, in 1915, he got sick again. And he spent two months at home. And he bared his illness with patience. And then he passed away. Shortly after that, he reposed in the Lord. And uh, at the end of a very fruitful mission in North America, he had passed away in 1915. Yeah, St. Raphael really had a tremendous impact on 
the Orthodox in this country, especially in the early going. And to this day, you know, we remember him, we ask for his intercessions, and uh, we, we hold him up as a wonderful example of obedience, of patience, of kindness, of really just someone who, who knew what his duty was, what his calling was, and wanting to be obedient to what God had planned for his life. He's a wonderful example of obedience. And Bryce, I was hoping we can now move on to our second saint, that is another great example of uh, the obedience value, if that's okay with you. No, I think, I think I'm done. Dude. <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, Michael, let's, let's get into it. I am excited to see what we have here. Well, we have our next saint that uh, I actually chose for this episode as a wonderful uh, example for obedience. And this one is kind of a layup for, I think, myself especially, because he is the patron saint of the Antiochian men, and I'm, of course, talking about St. Joseph the Betrothed. And, you know, Bryce, you were you were there when we were trying to decide with His Grace Bishop Nicholas, you know, what would be a good saint, a good patron saint for amen. And, you know, after discussing it, I know we all discussed it as a board and uh, submitted our recommendation to Bishop Nicholas for his blessing. And he agreed that St. Joseph the Betrothed would be the perfect patron saint for the Antiochian men. And we really chose him because he's a model of authentic manhood. He's, he shows himself to be a protector, a provider. He shows himself to be obedient for sure in his life. But he was also courageous and strong and so much more. He was a very virtuous man. And he expressed those virtues in service to others, starting with the Theotokos and the son born to her, who happened to be Jesus Christ, and through them to us as well. The Theotokos gave birth to God. And the God-man, Jesus Christ, enables us to experience the new birth of baptism, a redemption made possible through his death and resurrection. And Joseph was the guardian and provider of both. And that was his role. That was what he was obedient to. And his obedience and faithfulness contributed to this great work of salvation of man and the whole cosmos. And Bryce, I know that as we've kind of developed things over the last few years for the Antiochian men, I know St. Joseph the Betrothed is there with us. I know that he's praying for us and watching over us. And he has stood as a wonderful example to all of us. And I think he has a very, very important story that, that really is overlooked a lot in the Orthodox Church. He's one of those saints that when I was growing up, you know, Bryce, you know, I, I've been Orthodox my whole life. And there's always so much focus on the Theotokos. And I remember as a child, I was wondering, why does nobody talk about Joseph or why isn't he talked about very often? And so I think it's good that we, as the Antiochian men, are bringing, you know, honor and reverence and really awareness of the important role that St. Joseph had as the betrothed to the Theotokos. You know, he was from the lineage of King David. So that was very important, right? Mm. To fulfill prophecy about Christ himself coming from that line. St. Joseph actually had four sons from his previous marriage, and we're told from church tradition that this is James, Judah, Joseph, and Simon, and three daughters as well, Esther, Martha, and Salome, who was the mother of St. John the Theologian. After he became a widower, St. Joseph led a life of strict temperance, and he was chosen to be the husband and guardian of the most holy Theotokos, who had taken a vow of virginity. And, you know, this is this is something very interesting that I know a lot of people probably haven't thought much about. And I know I didn't until very recently. You know, St. Joseph was a very old man when he was betrothed to the Virgin Mary. And she was young. She was in her kind of mid-teenage years. 
And so his role was really because, you know, once a woman grows up, she obviously becomes a woman and goes through puberty. And so certain things happen, as we all know, to women that prevented her from being able to live in the temple. Hmm. I mean, honestly, just because of menstruation, she had to be removed from that. So St. Joseph then was the protector, the person that was going to really take care of her. And he had his own family with other children, right, that could also assist in that task so that eventually, right, she would could return to the temple when she was more advanced in years. That was the original plan because St. Joseph was already betrothed to the Virgin Mary before the Archangel Gabriel came to her to announce, right, that she would be giving birth to Jesus Christ. So right. the fact that she was dedicated to the temple, living in the temple, and then became of an age where she could no longer do that, I mean, really Joseph himself was doing a very noble thing to go in and to look after this very holy young woman until such time as she could go back to the temple, not knowing, of course, the bigger calling, right? The bigger event that was going to happen. Right. And, you know, there was, uh, I suppose, a bit of controversy as well after the Annunciation of Gabriel to the Theotokos, um, in which... (laughs) Joseph was faced with a choice, I suppose, in the sense that, you know, there was, I guess, the idea of uh, adultery on the part of his betrothed, right? Yeah, I mean, he he basically finds out that Mary is pregnant. And so, again, as a noble and honorable man, he wanted to arrange to have her quietly, you know, be divorced because he assumed that, of course, I mean, it seems obvious that something would have happened and he wouldn't, he didn't know until he finds out that the Theotokos is, is actually going to be bearing God himself, going to be giving birth to Jesus Christ. You know, at first he didn't know that. Right. And so that's an incredible shock. And, and he handled, he wanted to handle it in an honorable way. But then again, it's revealed to him that something much more important is happening. So an angel told St. Joseph of the incarnation of the Son of God through the Theotokos, and St. Joseph was present when the shepherds and the magi worshipped the newborn divine infant. On the orders of the angel, he fled into Egypt with the mother of God and the infant Jesus, saving them from the wrath of King Herod. He lived in Egypt with the Virgin Mary and the divine child, working as a carpenter. St. Joseph reputedly died at the age of 100. St. Joseph is commemorated on the Sunday after the Nativity, and if there's no Sunday between December 25th and January 1st, his feast day is moved to December 26th. The Righteous Joseph is also commemorated on the Sunday of the Holy Forefathers. And, you know, we've also done the Akathis live stream to St. Joseph the Betrothed every single year since the Antiochian Men was founded. So we've done it in 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022. And, you know, being able to say these prayers, I mean, reading any Akathist hymn is very beautiful. I mean, we're in the midst of Great Lent right now, and every Friday, uh, at least in the Antiochian jurisdiction, we will do a stasis of the Akathist to the Mother of God. And so if you're in those services, being able to hear these things, you know, you often hear rejoice and alleluia and, you know, all of these things. and each of these Akathists are for the glory of God. What have these people done in their lives as they become saints Mm. to the glory of God, right? And so being able to read 
and observe St. Joseph's life being put into this. I mean, you see his nobility, not just through his lineage, but through through who he was as a man and through the duty that he had to do. Not even that he necessarily had to do, but knew that he should do. Yeah. And that God knew he was equipped to do as well. And, you know, when you read the story of the nativity in the gospels and, you know, Herod coming after the children uh, under two years old in Judea. Yeah, the slaughter of the innocents, right? Yes, because of the threat that he saw and the Magi coming into town and saying, this is what we've witnessed and everything. And this is, I would not wish to have any type of burden like this upon myself. Yeah. But St. Joseph is able to lead them through the warning of the Archangel Gabriel to get to Egypt and to protect the Christ child and to protect the Theotokos. And, you know, we see this in the iconography as well with, um, you know, there's Joseph leading and um, the Theotokos upon the, uh, the donkey with the Christ child going into Egypt and staying there and, and Joseph fulfilling his duty and keeping them safe and providing for them as well going through this. And so each year when we've been able to do these Akathas, we've added more and more men to be able to witness this and being able to do it at different parishes as well throughout the diocese, giving others the opportunity to read these, these wonderful verses. Um, it's truly a blessing to see and God willing, we'll be able to do it again this year in 2023 and especially right after the nativity. Because, you know, we've been fasting up until that point, and then we have the beautiful celebration of Christ being born, and then being able to also uh, celebrate the feast day of St. Joseph almost immediately after that. Yeah, and St. Joseph is really a crucial and often overlooked figure in the real-life drama of Christmas. And as you were talking about the Akathist, I was just thinking about how much we learn about, you know, any of the saints that have an Akathist hymn written about them or to them. There's so much richness in that that helps you to get to know those saints, how they live their lives, the roles that they had, and how they ultimately lived a life for Christ. And in this case, literally having a life that protected Christ when he was a vulnerable infant. Mm. And you know, Joseph the betrothed, betrothed does not mean married. Right. He was betrothed to be the protector of the Virgin Mary. And he was he was really in a very elderly state. We're talking about a man who's around 80 years old. Right. And he reluctantly became her guardian when she had to leave the temple where she had grown up. One of the verses chanted at the Vespers before the Nativity and St. Joseph's Feast, it states that St. Joseph had a strange betrothal that fell onto his lot. And I think that surely is an understatement. Like you were saying, Bryce, I mean, this was an incredibly stressful and intense period of time where he literally had to take his wife and son you know, and, and we even are told from church tradition that James went along on the, the flight to Egypt to, to help as well. But they were essentially fugitives. They were on the run, right? Right, right. And, you know, that's not something that anyone wants to do. Mm-hmm. But St. Joseph was obedient to God's command and went through with it anyway. And, you know, he plays a key role in the salvation of the world mm-hmm. from corruption because he is protecting the Christ child and through God's protection as well, he's able to make these choices and almost without thinking, right? He's not debating on whether or not they need to leave. 
you know, he's not trying to weigh his options, you know, oh, maybe I can find somewhere to stay here. No, he, he followed his duty. Yeah. And he saw it through to the end. Yeah. And there's a lot of misunderstandings. You know, we talked about betrothal and, and betrothal was an arrangement in which a man literally just becomes the guardian of a woman. It did not imply the intimate relations of marriage. And again, as an 80-year-old widower, Joseph did not want to take this responsibility for the teenage Virgin Mary, but hmm. he obeyed God's command nonetheless. And that is how he really came to play a key role in the salvation of our world of corruption, as you were talking about. Like the fact that, you know, he was an older man at this point, you know, he had already been married, he was a widower, he had children of his own. You know, this seems like a lot that to undertake as especially as advanced in age as he was. But he didn't worry about his own comfort or what he wanted to do. He knew that God had something greater for him to do and that that was his responsibility. Right. And he needed to be obedient to God ultimately. And the story of Joseph, you know, it connects so much with the heritage of the Old Testament. You know, you, there's this evil ruler wanting to murder the young savior because he viewed him as a threat. Does that sound familiar? Pharaoh had ordered the deaths of Hebrew male infants long ago in Egypt. You know, there's a parallel there. Yeah. And now a wicked king like him reigned in Israel. And Herod, you know, he slaughtered young boys in around Bethlehem when he realized the wise men had tricked him. You know, so this this whole flight into Egypt, I think, speaks a lot about what we as men also need to do in times of crisis. You know, if something happens and we need to be there for our family, it's not time for us to worry about what might happen to us. You know, ultimately, we might need to take matters into our own hands to protect our family, to do whatever is necessary, right? And that doesn't mean to do something that is going to be just to, to cause as much comfort as possible. In some cases, it's going to be darn right uncomfortable mm -hmm. in some cases, but it's doing what is necessary because there's times when you have to step up and you have to do something that is not going to be comfortable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Pharaoh. In the Old Testament and in the Exodus, the Hebrews had fled Egypt on the night of the Passover. Right. And so now what we have in the New Testament and the Gospels is the young Messiah flees to Israel to go to Egypt at night. Mm -hmm. And then eventually the danger will pass and Joseph brings the family back to the promised land just as the Hebrews eventually return after wandering in the desert for 40 years. Yeah. And so, you know, we also remember in the book of Genesis, another Joseph. And he went to Egypt unwillingly as a slave, being sold by his brothers out of jealousy and eventually rising to the ranks in the Pharaoh's court, also being accused another time of adultery. I mean, Joseph the patriarch faced many, many persecutions, but he was able to save his whole family from famine by bringing them to Egypt and saving them from starving to death. Yeah, and in Matthew's gospel, it describes Joseph's role in the Lord's early life with obvious Old Testament symbolism. And, and the point is not simply to just glorify Joseph, of course, but mm -hmm. it shows us how Christ really fulfills God's promise of a Savior to the Hebrews and to all people. And Joseph's story is a clear reminder that God calls people to cooperate with his gracious plans to bring salvation, blessing, and healing to the entire world. Right? We're actually called to cooperate with that, and Joseph is the perfect example of this. Not that the world is one of imaginary sentimental perfection, but, but the very same one inhabited today by those who will suffer from persecution, abuse, and war. And these are things that are continuing on to this day, Bryce. And there's still many Herods that live among us. 
Yeah, and that's uh, that's a reality that you know you kind of understand that's out there after I guess just seeing how things work. Yeah, right. I mean, we read stories from the Bible, we read these accounts, and a lot of the time we think, oh, you know, that happened two thousand years ago, that happened twenty five hundred years ago, whenever. You know, there's nothing that I can take away from this. There absolutely is. Yeah. There are so many lessons. There's so many virtues. There are so many things that we can understand after reading the scriptures, being able to be in the church as well. And, you know, what you mentioned about Joseph's story being a reminder that God calls people to cooperate with his gracious plans to bring salvation, mm -hmm. the blessing and the healing to the entire world. That is the importance of synergy. And today, you know, we probably will never be faced with something identical to what St. Joseph had to go through. But we are going to be faced with challenges, you know, men with families, men who need to take a stand for something, need to be obedient and, you know, I guess face persecution, face challenges, and being able to be joyful through that and being able to fulfill that duty as well and being obedient to it as well because a lot of it we, we won't want to go through. But this is how we do become stronger. This is how things begin to really become greater. And I think we begin to see that through life. And we're not following our own will through this. If we do, we're doomed to really not fulfill what we need to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned earlier, Bryce, the the fact that we recently celebrated the feast of the Annunciation, mm. right, with Gabriel announcing to Mary that she would be that she would ultimately give birth to Jesus Christ, and I think that the theme of the Annunciation is perfect, really, for this the story of of Saint Joseph the Betrothed and his life, because it really highlights the necessity of our free response to God's calling for us in our own lives. And, and it's going to look different from person to person. You know, at the Annunciation, the Theotokos freely chose to say yes when the Archangel Gabriel visited her with the good news that we sh she was chosen to be the Virgin Mother of the Son of God. And despite his reluctance to become her guardian in the first place, you know, Noble Joseph accepted that responsibility. He embraced it, right? It may not have been his first choice of how he wanted to spend the last years of his life. But then after being horrified to discover the pregnancy, he had the faith to believe the message of the angel that the child was conceived of the Holy Spirit. That takes a tremendous amount of faith. And the faithfulness of his actions following that is literally the perfect model of obedience for us as men. Right. And something I do want to point out here is that they both had something bestowed upon them and that they both freely chose to say yes. Right. Essentially, right? And, you know, they're both operating together for a purpose greater than themselves. Mm -hmm. And accepting this responsibility and being obedient through that responsibility in order to protect and raise the Christ child into becoming a man so that he could fulfill his earthly ministry, so that he could be crucified, die, destroy death, and rise again and ascend into heaven. And none of that would have happened had Joseph not been there. Guiding his family to Egypt as they fled from the murderous Herod, being involved in, you know, a dangerous set of circumstances in his later years, I don't think was something that he had anticipated as a younger man. No, I don't think he would have ever expected that he'd be there 
But what he did had to be done for the safety of his family, right? Absolutely. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a life-threatening circumstance like we've, you know, mentioned before where we need to step up as men, you know, as fathers, as husbands. Again, I, I can't necessarily speak to that from a personal level, but I've seen, you know, my own father, I've been able to see men in my life where there was something that came up in the home or, you know, in the church or at work or whatever it may be, being able to rise up and lead the family through those occasions. And again, that's not to say that you got to do everything exactly correctly Mm -hmm. because frankly, all the time you don't do that. You have to be willing to take a risk and take a shot at something to protect and to lead. And, you know, that is a difficult thing. And, and me being able to observe that as an unmarried man, you know, there is, I don't want to call it a template, but there is hope there. Learning from men in your life and men in the church and from the saints and from Christ himself, what that looks like, you don't have to be completely afraid. I mean, our, each situation is unique. Each situation is different, but being able to provide and protect, I mean, those are what a man is supposed to do. Exactly. And the example of Joseph also reminds us, Bryce, that God uses our cooperation to accomplish his gracious purposes in the world. And that was certainly the case in the Old Testament. I mean, you think about people like Abraham and Moses and David and countless others, really, that responded to God's initiative. Mm -hmm. And he worked through those people, despite their many failings. And this goes back to what we were talking about kind of at the beginning, that God doesn't force people to obey him. Right. Right. When we're being forced to obey, that's that's slavery. That's not obedience. It's entirely possible to disregard God and refuse to live as those created in the divine image and likeness of God. You know, wrapping things up, Bryce, I I think about St. Joseph the Betrothed and how his life plans changed just drastically when he was chosen to be betrothed to the Theotokos and when he said yes, that he would take on that responsibility. And I think we must recognize that the healing of our souls it won't occur according to our own preferences and according to our own will, what we want. And that was certainly the case for old Joseph, who took on responsibilities that he didn't want, but he knew was God's calling in his life. Mm. And, you know, Joseph and the Virgin Mary became a very unlikely couple, but they both freely obeyed God, as you were referring to earlier. And because of that, salvation has come to the world. What a beautiful example for all of us. Let's always keep in mind the example, the the incredibly godly example of Joseph the betrothed, that no matter what stage of life we're in, that we need to be obedient to God's calling for us. And that calling can change, right? That calling might look different for me today than it did 10 years ago. And it sure will probably look a lot different for me 10, 20 years from now, God willing, if I live that long. But whatever season of life that we're in and whatever God has called us to do, you know, we shouldn't worry about what that might do to our comfort, to our own expectations, to the standards of life that we want for ourselves. It's all about becoming more like God. And in order to do that, we have to be obedient to God. And I think St. Joseph the Betrothed, again, as patron saint of the Antiochian men, lived a life of true obedience to God. And it's a life that we should all look to and try to model our lives after to the extent that we can, and especially according to our own particular callings. We may not have a calling that looks exactly like what 
St. Joseph's calling was, but we all do have a calling. And as men, we have to remember the importance of obedience, of actually wanting to follow God's calling for us, to listening to our spiritual fathers, to be obedient, wanting to be obedient to their guidance, and in the church as well, so we can find ways to serve the church, to serve each other, and to find our salvation in the process. Bryce, what are your final thoughts? When Michael and I decided to embark on this endeavor with the Antiochian men, I think both of us were ready and willing, but at the same time, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. And I'm not going to say that there wasn't a degree of fear there, but I think we both knew that there was a lot of potential for what this could be. And I remember in our meeting when we were talking about getting a patron saint for the organization and St. Joseph was brought up, he was not someone that I had thought of. And in my prior confession, you know, I knew St. Joseph was important just as I knew that Theotokos was important, but I didn't understand the gravity of which they played in our salvation, which they still do as saints of the church. And I also remember when I first came into St. Nicholas Church six years ago in August of 2017, and I saw my first iconostas ever, I remember seeing the icons of Christ, of the Theotokos, of St. John, of St. Nicholas. And then I saw St. Raphael. I had no idea who he was. But after conversations with some of the parishioners there, being able to read on my own, preparing for this episode as well, I began to see the aspects of obedience in his life and the role that he played in the church. And when we look at both St. Joseph and St. Raphael, they lived in very different times, in very different places. They both exemplified this virtue in such a way that they were able to bring fruit to the church in different ways as well. With St. Joseph, he was given a, a task as betrothed to the Theotokos to protect her and the Christ child through a time of unrest when Herod was trying to kill them, to lead them into Egypt and to return and to bring Christ up in his life so that he could have his ministry and so that we could be saved. And St. Raphael going from Syria to Russia and then to North America to minister to the sheep here, traveling across an entire continent many, many times over the course of almost two decades and ministering to people over so much time through the Word magazine, as well as through founding churches, they're both inspirational to us and being able to have the saints to look to. We can see these virtues as they exemplified them, and we can also see them in our own lives. You know, each of us as men, we have our duties that we need to fulfill. And this isn't from a place of preaching. This is a place of understanding that there is a duty, that there is a cross that needs to be carried and that we may fall on our face many, many times, but as long as we continue to stand up and we rely on Christ, we cannot rely on ourselves. Just as St. Raphael and St. Joseph did not rely solely on their own understanding, they relied on their trust in God and his plan and in the duty that they needed to fulfill 
so too can we in our own lives. And I wanted to wrap up with my personal favorite Traparion um, that I've heard in the church, the Traparion of St. Raphael of Brooklyn. Rejoice, O Father Raphael, adornment of the Holy Church. Thou art a champion of the true faith, seeker of the lost, consolation of the oppressed, father to orphans and friend of the poor, peacemaker and good shepherd, joy of all the Orthodox, son of Antioch, boast of America, intercede with Christ God for us and for all who honor thee. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Coming Out of Chaos. Please remember to check out our website at antiochianmen.org to learn more about our organization. We also have many videos available that can be found on that website as well as on our Amen YouTube channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, just to name a few. So be sure to follow us on the platform of your choice. We'd also appreciate a positive review if the platform allows you to do so. Please share this podcast with your friends and help us to spread the word about it. We want to thank everyone who has been reaching out to us with feedback on our podcast episodes. If anyone would like to reach out to us, just send an email to amendomse at gmail.com. That's A-M-E-N-D-O-M-S-E at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments or questions for us. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.